Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at, uh, here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, as he said, we are in a series, going through a series uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, looking at the life of Jesus, uh, teachings of Jesus, miracles of Jesus. And, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at probably what, uh, what I think is Jesus' most controversial statement. Uh, and then last week, we looked at what I think probably is his most important statement, uh, and then this week, we're going to continue on in that series, and we're getting closer to uh, the arrest of Jesus. And as he's sitting with his disciples today, he's going to talk about uh, some future events. And as he talks about these future events, um, he's going to address a, uh, something that really sits at the core of our uh, human existence. And so um, let's start this way. Uh, if we were to trace the theme of sorrow throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible, here's what you're going to find. We're going to find that it is an inescapable reality, uh, that sorrow is talked about in light of God, in light of men, um, and sorrow is defined as a deep distress caused by loss. So sorrow, a deep distress caused uh, by loss. This is something that, uh, that all of us on some level have experienced, right? It starts early in life. Uh, it starts maybe kindergarten, first grade, second grade, that first time you have uh, someone who you thought was your friend look you in the eye and say, I don't want to be your friend anymore, and you feel that tear. Uh, maybe junior high, high school, that first breakup. Um, for me, uh, I wasn't really uh, so much into girls in junior high because I was, uh, I was committed to my future career in the NBA. Um, and then in seventh grade, I got an invitation to play on our basketball's B team. Uh, and uh, do you know who doesn't play on the B team? Future NBA players, all right? And the dream was shattered. Uh, but then we grow up and it becomes more real, right? And so we, uh, we, we have miscarriages. We have engagements that end. We have marriages that struggle. It becomes more real the older that we, um, the older that we get. And when you lose something or someone uh, that causes this kind of sorrow, this kind of, uh, this kind of deep distress, usually we deal with it one of two ways. Either one, uh, we turn to people to try to have people help us get through it, or two, uh, or two we, um, we, we turn inside, we look inside to try to deal with our emotions. Uh, and both, uh, both at times are appropriate, good, and healthy, uh, and what Jesus is going to say in our text in John 16 today is that while both are good, uh, both can be needed. Neither one is enough. Neither one is uh, enough. You're going to need more. And so let's look at it. John 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus talking to his disciples and says, hey, listen, um, I haven't said these things to you because I was with you, but now, now that I'm going to leave, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, or I have, I've said these things you need to know these things. And so if I could um, explain what these things are, these things that created this kind of sorrow in the disciples, um, it is uh, maybe the best way would be to summarize the, the chapter that came before it and what led right up to it in John 16. 
This is what Jesus said. Hey, listen, life is about to get really bad for me. Uh, life's about to get really rough for me. And then in light of that, after that, following that, and because of that, uh, life's going to get really bad for you. In fact, some of you, some of you that are sitting here with me right now, you're going to lose your life. Um, people are going to take your life because they think they're serving God this way. Life's not going to get better. Jesus never at any point, at any time, uh, promised better life circumstances to anyone. He promised a better life. Those are drastically different. And here's Jesus saying, hey, listen, it's, it's going to get rough for you. If you're a follower of mine, it's going to get rough for you. And so between uh, telling them how their life was going to turn out, telling them uh, that I'm going to leave, um, it creates this sorrow, the sorrow that John says filled their heart. And the word filled, right, English, Greek, whatever we do with it, the word filled here, it's a pretty elastic word, right? We use the word filled in a lot of different ways, right? Steph Curry filled it up. That, uh, that jar, greatest player of all time, I think, right now, he's proving it. Um, that jar is Filled. It's certainly not LeBron James, but that's not part of the sermon. Um, that salad filled me up. Actually, no one's ever said that, right? So <laughs> uh, that steak filled me up, right? Filled is an um, elastic word that we use a lot of different ways. And when John is writing this, he's taking this word, he's using it in a, uh, in a very precise way. It's not the salad filled me up. This is the steak filled me up, right? That, that time when you're so full that you're like bursting to get out of you. This is what he's describing here. This sorrow that these disciples feel, these followers of Jesus, it is to the degree that it is so filled them up that it's bursting uh, to get out of them. And um, if we could just maybe together try to emotively put ourselves in the place of disciples, if we were to enter into their life and try to feel what they felt, the, the best picture for this um, would be when you lose a loved one. All right, there is a special kind of anguish that comes when you lose somebody that you love, like, like somebody that you love, a brother, a father, a friend, when they die. Church in Houston this week, pastor is a good friend of mine, 24-year-old, 24-year-old. They think a heart attack. They don't know what happened. And the text I got, the way he described what it was like to sit in that living or that, that hospital room with her family and to see them bursting into tears. Like, there's a special kind of anguish that comes from losing someone that you love. I think that's the best picture we can have for what is happening and the way John's describing the disciples right now. And so Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, knowing the place the disciples are in, the sorrow was filled their heart. This is what he says in verse 7. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Hey, you, you disciples, sorrow bursting out of your life. I'm telling you the truth, man. It is to your advantage that I go away. What in the world could he mean by that? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right, so let me try to explain what Jesus is talking about. By the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so um, Christians, this is, what we, this is what Christians believe God is. God, we believe that God is one God in three persons. 
There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God, three persons. And and even Christians who have been raised in the church, spent a lot of time in our church, a lot of a lot of their life in the church, uh, don't really think of the Spirit as a person. We think the Spirit of it's more of a force, right? Like a, a Luke, like let the force be with you. It's not at all how the scriptures describe the Spirit. The Spirit is a person uh, who engages us, who we can engage with, who um, who we can hurt, we can grieve, if you will. And this word helper, in some translations, many translations, it gets uh, translated counselor. And, uh, and let, me, let me try to explain why I really think that's uh, a, a better translation. And um, here's where it comes from. It, it's, it's because uh, the word that's translated helper is actually a really famous word. It's really a, a well-known uh, word, maybe, maybe not to non-Greek nerds uh, like myself, but to us Greek nerds, uh, it, it's a pretty well-known word. It's a compound word that means it's parakletos, para come alongside, come up next to Kletos, um, to teach the truth, to impart the truth, to um, um, exhort the truth. And so the Spirit, like a counselor, comes alongside us uh, in our hurting, in our suffering, in our sorrow, and speaks the truth. Doesn't just say what you want to hear, says what you need to hear, to hear, but hear, but hear, but says, says it in a way that you can hear it, like a good counselor. And so if I could try to illustrate uh, if I could try to illustrate why Jesus said this is better, there's, there's probably more than two reasons, but I'm going to give you two. Um, here's reason one, um, and I'm going to illustrate it. A couple of years ago, uh, four, five, six, seven years ago, I don't know when, I, I've told this story before. I worked at a church in Dallas. Um, my boss was a guy named Steve Harden, a uh, wonderful uh, older man. Uh, I use that gently and politely. He was in his 50s, and so... Uh, look, uh, grabbed me, called me in his office and said, hey, Brandon, hey, here's the deal, man. Uh, you're, you're shepherding out of a wound. I, I can't figure out what it is. I can't get my thumb on it. And so you're going to go to counseling. Uh, and I was like, uh, Steve-O, buddy, man, thank you so much for caring. Uh, I don't really need counseling. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good where I am. And he's like, you're not listening to me. I'm, you're going to counseling. And uh, I was like, man, I, I don't really think I, I need to go to counseling, so I'm probably not going to go to counseling. And he was like, you probably are going to go to counseling. And so eventually I went to counseling, and while I was there, uh, the first session with this guy named John Henderson, John says, hey, Brandon, do you think of yourself as this, this, this? Um, do you think of yourself as insecure? And I was like, look, buddy, let me stop you right there. Uh, I'm a lot of things, man. Insecure ain't one of them, all right? And then at the end of the session, uh, John says, hey, Brandon, I just my initial kind of snap read at you, I... I would probably look at you and say, man, you, I, I would describe you like this, like this, like this, like this, maybe insecure. Uh, and on the inside, I was like, look, buddy, I will take you outside and I will show you how insecure I am. All right. Like the most insecure response I could possibly have. Uh, and then, uh, then four months later, uh, after a long road of counseling and a lot of um, uh, people speaking into my life, I was speeding on the way to my session so that I could sit on his couch and say, John, man, I am desperately insecure. I, I act like I don't care what people think. Let me tell you why I act like that. I act like that because I desperately do. I, I want people to think highly of me in ways that I don't even know how to articulate. And there was a freedom in that. There was a freedom because a counselor came alongside, looked into my life, spoke words of truth that I needed to hear, not just what I wanted to hear. But here's the problem. Here's where that analogy breaks down. Uh, at the end of an hour, 
I had to leave. I had to go home. I had to go back to my normal life. And if something flared up in the next month, uh, I had to wait until my appointment to go sit in his office and talk through it. And here's what makes the Spirit a better counselor. You never have to leave the Spirit's office. The Spirit is alongside you, with you, speaking truth into you at all times. You never have to leave the counselor's, counselor's office. Let me give you a second reason why it's better uh, that Jesus would go away, what he's, what he's trying to get to here. And I'll illustrate this one too. In 2007, uh, my wife was pregnant. 2007, my wife was pregnant. And we, um, I was at the gym. I was playing racquetball. Uh, because clearly uh, the NBA failed, and I thought, I'll find a new career, uh, and <laughs> I'm not good at racquetball either. And so I, my sole objective at the gym is to not sweat, and racquetball is a good way to do that. And so, uh, but I'm playing racquetball, uh, and I turn around, and through that clear glass wall, uh, I see my wife standing there in tears, just pouring down her face. And we had had the first of our miscarriages. And John Henderson was an amazing counselor. And there is nothing that John Henderson could have said or done that would have soothed what was going on inside of my soul. And he, he writes books on counseling. We use his premarital book. At, I mean, he is the counselor par excellence. And there is nothing that he could have said that would soothe what was going on inside my soul in that moment. This was one of those times when Jesus knows turning to people is good, but not enough. Looking inward is good, but not enough. This is one of those times where the sorrow is just bursting to get out. And I needed the Spirit. I needed the Spirit to tell me and remind me and to come close to me And I needed God to be present in the pain, present in a way that only the Spirit can be. So why is this better? The locus of God's presence in your sorrow is not isolated to where Jesus is, but now it's scattered throughout the church. And in those moments that that are coming, and, and there's enough people in here that are in their 50s and above to tell us this is true, those moments are coming. Right, you, you may not have experienced them yet, but those moments are coming where you're sitting in a bedroom, you're sitting in a living room, and you're alone, and all you can do is cry. Not just cry, but cry the kind of tears that physically hurt. It's coming. And in that moment, when that pain overwhelms you, you need God to be present in the pain. You need people. You need to be willing to look inside, but those aren't enough. You need God through those things, in those things, to be present in that pain. And so Jesus now, knowing this, knowing that this is the kind of anguish that he's talking about, that that the spirit, the counselor, the, the comforter, the helper, that's coming alongside the disciples, entering into their pain, he now says something that is really to them had to be out of left field. It had to be just a, hey, where did that come from? And so let's look at it. Verse 8. They're safe. And when he comes, this is the helper talking about the Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I, I have always 
kind of moralized this verse, right? I've thought of it like it, it's talking about a sin like I lie, right? So, uh, for example, I was asked uh, a couple of months ago by some guys who are foodies uh, what my favorite restaurant in the city was. And so because, remember, I'm insecure and I want them to like me, uh, I lied. I just lied to them. I said underbelly. Uh, and listen, I, I love underbelly. Underbelly is legit. It's great, but it's not my favorite. Uh, you know what my favorite restaurant in the city is? I'll tell you right now. Alma Latina, little ghetto Mexican restaurant over on Shepherd. That's it. Amen. You know why I like it? I can sit outside. My kids can play. Uh, they're going to bother the other tables, but they chose that when they sat outside. Uh, I... Cheese enchiladas off the radar good. The Rita's, come on. I, that, like, that's my favorite restaurant. But because I'm sitting with these groups of, uh, of men who are foodies, when they ask me this question, I want to fit in. I want them to, so I lied about it. This is what I've always thought was, this verse was talking about, that it was just like, okay, I lied. Uh, that's sin, uh, and now I, I, I know that's unrighteous, and so I feel judgment for it. That's what I always thought it meant. Uh, and that certainly is a work of the Spirit. It's just not the one uh, Jesus is talking about here. And so let's let Jesus explain himself. Verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So this is not... This is not the general work of the Spirit that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the saving work of the Spirit, right? Sin, not, not lying, sin, but unbelief. Righteousness, not, not, not um, hey, that thing that you did isn't, but it's uh, the, the, the man of righteousness is no longer here. I'm with the Father now. And then judgment, not your judgment, but Satan's judgment, that judgment executed on Satan and the cross. And here's why. Um, here's why the Bible, if, you'll, if you're willing to read it, if you're willing to read it, it's so practical and so helpful uh, that Jesus, in using uh, this grid, this sin, righteousness, judgment, he actually gives a picture and paints a picture for, for how most people become a Christian, that most people don't wake up uh, one day and just go, man, I just love Jesus all of a sudden. Like, you don't live your life 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, um, go to bed, not thinking of Jesus, wake up the next morning around 7.30, look at the alarm clock and go, man, it's early, and I love Jesus. It's not usually how it works. How it usually works is through a series of decisions, through a series of realizations, um, if you will. It starts with realizing uh, what your life is like, looking at your own life and going, man, my life is not adding up. It's not living up to what I want it to be. And then looking at Jesus and going, man, I think um, that life would be better with Jesus or maybe it's worth giving it uh, a shot, and then moving on to feeling the weight of the brokenness of your own life uh, and seeing that Jesus is the, the, the solution to the brokenness that's going on inside of you. You see, what, what the Spirit does when the Spirit um, takes someone from being a non-Christian to a Christian is that the Spirit takes the brokenness of the world and personalizes it. G.K. Chesterton, um, theologian, uh, lay theologian, philosopher, brilliant, um, brilliant man, early 1900s, uh, was asked by the Times at one time, was asked this question, uh, what's the problem with the world? And GK's answer was this, I am. I am. What's the problem with the world, GK? I am. You see, when the Spirit comes in uh, to your life, 
now the brokenness and problems of the world are no longer out there, they're in me. And so here's the question that I have. Why is this in response the disciples' sorrow? And I think to answer this question, we need C.S. Lewis to help us. C.S. Lewis said this, that there are times when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him. And he goes on in that quote to say it's, that he, he, in those times, he's an interruption to you. You see, what C.S. Lewis knows is this, that there are times when your life, things are so good, just clicking on all cylinders, that you feel so happy that, that you look at your life and you have no sense of need for him. You don't feel like you need God. See, C.S. knows this. He knows that sorrow, sorrow, that that deep sense of loss, that anguish, that sorrow in your life can be the soil, the soil of your soul where Jesus becomes sweet and near and beautiful to you. Or in the words of Les Mis, those who do not weep do not see. Those who do not weep do not see. And often in our lives, sorrow is the soil where our brokenness becomes real and Jesus becomes beautiful. And like I said, for some of us, for some of us, John 16 and what Jesus is saying, that this is a a, a cute story that's going to become needed one day. One day. But for some of us in this room right now, this kind of sorrow is far too real. Far too real. For some of us, we're the weeping ones of Les Mis, and sorrow is the lens through which we see life. Which is why something that was said about Jesus 700 years before he entered the world is so comforting. Isaiah 53 says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." It's 700 years before Jesus entered the world, Isaiah said that he is going to be a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows who would take on our sorrow, who would enter into our pain, who would live life with and through our pain. That on the cross, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he was on the way to the cross even, before he ever got to the cross, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a man of the sorrows on the way to purchase our redemption, crying out, screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The great declaration of the cross, hanging there and screaming, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just an overflow of what he was feeling on the way to the cross. And here's what this means. Here's what this means. This means that God is not distant in your sorrow. I I can't tell you why suffering happens. I I, I can't tell you 
uh, all the ins and outs of why this and why that. I can't tell you why we lose loved ones. I, I can't sit with that family whose 24-year-old died two days ago and say, this is why. I, a, I would never say that, but I couldn't say that. Here's what I can say. I can say it's not because God doesn't care. I can say that the the anguish that you feel right now isn't because God doesn't care. I can tell you that. So last year when your brother passed away, last year when your father passed away, last year when that college roommate passed away, last year when that engagement ended, last year when that, that marriage really started to turn south and it hasn't recovered yet, can't tell you why, but here's what I can tell you. I can tell you it's not because God doesn't care. And I can tell you in light of what we talked about last week, it's not because he doesn't love you. That's what I can tell you. Which is why it makes the rest of John 16 so important. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There's, there's more about the suffering that is to come. There's more anguish to come. But listen, guys, right now, right now you can't bear them. There will be a day when you can. Right now is not that day. It's coming, but it's not here yet. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, this is the day, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit takes the words of Jesus, hears the words of Jesus, and declares them to you. In the depth of your sorrow, when you are suffering to the degree the disciples were, not just what they were at this moment, like aware of it in the future, but when this day gets here, this day that the disciples couldn't bear to know about yet, but we live out. When that day gets here, when that day gets here, you're going to need to know that the Spirit takes the words of Jesus and makes Jesus real to you, takes Jesus from your head to your heart. So here's the question. Here, here's what we need to know. Here's where we're going to land the plane. How? 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 Right? I, I, I need an action plan, B. I need to know. That's me, Brandon. Um, I need an action plan. Right? Spirit speaks. He takes the words of Jesus. Listen, right now, I'm in that place. Like, this is not theological theory for me. This is my day in, day out life. I need to know how I can go and hear the words of the Spirit speak these things to me so that Jesus can stay real to my life. There are more than this, but I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three. One, the Scriptures. One, the Bible. 2 Peter 1, 21, that the scriptures were written as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Open the scriptures, read the scriptures, let the scriptures saturate your life, take your sorrow into the scriptures so that the man of sorrows might become more and more real to you. And listen, you you don't have to understand the Bible. You don't have to understand it to read it. Just open it up and read it and watch them saturate your life with Jesus. Watch them reveal that hope that you're longing for. Open the scriptures. Uh, Two, way number two, in the church, through community, through people, 
Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we have come to share in Christ, for if we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence to the ends, as it is said, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't, don't harden your hearts. Open your life up to one another. Let people exhort you as long as it's called today that through community, through one another, you might hear the voice of God speaking into your life. Listen, if you're hurting, say, I'm hurting. Like at, at the church I came from, here was the analogy that we used to say all the time. If you're on fire, only a fool doesn't scream, I'm on fire. If you're hurting, say, I'm hurting. Step in, walk in, lean in. Stop doing that one foot in, one foot out. Put both feet in and say, I'm hurting and I need you. I need, I need y'all to speak into my life because I'm hurting. Stop playing the religious games. If you're hurting, say, I'm hurting. Lean in, lean in, say, I'm hurting. Let one another, let this gospel church family community, let people speak into your life. Don't be the fool who puts on a smile on Sundays, who puts on a smile when they gather with your neighborhood parish and then goes home and cries alone. Don't be that person. And then three, way number three, communion, in the sacraments, in the table, and what these things represent right here. 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? Participation is fellowship. Is Are we not fellowshipping with the blood of Christ, the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ that when you come to the table, when you come to this table, when you take that bread and you dip it in the cup, this is the Spirit of God making Christ real to you again and again, and again, and again. And listen to me, if I could maybe speak to Sojourn, if I could speak to, to our Sojourn body here. Um, there are some of us in here who think uh, Sundays are important. Life and community is not. Foolish. Some of you in here think uh, life and community is important. Sunday gatherings are not. Foolish. Listen, Sunday gatherings, coming to the table week in and week out, gathering with people, living your life in community, they are two wings on a plane. One falls off, it crashes. They are two wings on a plane. One falls off, it crashes. And so in a minute, here, here's what's going to happen. Because listen, I, I know, I know that there's some of us in this room who hear this and go, man, this is great, but I'm just not in that place right now. Praise the Lord. One day you will be. And there's some of us in this room who listen, if I'm if I could let you be my John Henderson, I'm one of them in this room. This was the text to my parish leader last night. It seems like the farther I get from the miscarriage, the more it hurts. I'm one of them in this room. I'm one of the ones hurting in this room. I know there's some of us in this room that something happened this year, last year, the year before. And that low-grade pain hasn't gone away. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to pray in a minute. 
I'm going to pray in a minute, and, and, and we're going to open up the table. And here's what I want you to do. You're, I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to run. Not literally. I want you to sort. I want you to run to the table. I want you to run to the table, and I want you to take that bread, and I want you to dip it in the cup, and I want you to beg God, make Jesus real to me again in my sorrow, in my suffering, in my hurting. Make Jesus real to me. Where do we go? This is us, right? We're in our sorrow. We need the Spirit to remind us of the words of Jesus, remind us of the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus, where do we go? We run to the scriptures. We open them up. We read them. We let them wash over us. We run into community. We step into a neighborhood parish. We, we don't treat it flippantly. We put both feet in, and then we run to the table. Every Sunday, we run to the table, and we say, Spirit of God, make Jesus real to me. In my pain, make him real. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, we do love you, and we do thank you that, that you have made a way that in our suffering and in our sorrow, in our suffering and in our sorrow, we can come and we can step in and we can have the man of sorrows applied to our life and have our life saturated with the hope of Jesus. And so for those uh, in here who are um, interested, curious, knowing, Hey, listen, my life is far from God. I, I pray that they would know that God has come near, and, and in your pain, it's not he doesn't care. He's experienced and walked through it. And then for those of us who, uh, who, who just have that low grade, uh, this has been my life, who, who need, who need to know, in my sorrow, Jesus is there. I pray, Spirit, that at this table, as we come down to the table, that you would remind them that you are real and you are there, that you love them, and that you're for them. In Christ's name.